Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to The Line, the sports podcast from PR Week. Welcome back to The Line, the sports podcast from PR Week and Cake. So this week we have two people and we're going to be talking later on about Spanish football, La Liga, and the global rise of that league. And we have two people very well qualified to do that. We have Keegan Pierce, the delegate of La Liga Global Network. I'm going to ask him what that term means and what that job involves in a moment. First up, we have Guillaume Balaguer, who is a renowned... You'll have seen him on Sky Television. You'll have read his books and his articles across the media. So I've got in my hand Brave New World inside Pochettino's Spurs. Now, as a Spurs fan... I've devoured this book and loved it, and but it does also raise some interesting questions. Um, first off, then, Guillaume, is this an official book? Is this a, <laughs> officially endorsed by Spurs? Nope, no. Uh, this is a. I've got a three-book deal with Orion. Orion have been looking after me since I started writing books. A season on the brink first on, on Rafa Benitez and that magnificent season where we got to the Champions League final. We, them, with they got to the Champions League final. And then the Pep Guardiola book, it was also Orion. After that, we had to do Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo. And this, this is the, 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 we decided to do a biography of Pochettino as part of a three book deal. So it's a biography. But of course, I've got a relationship with, with Mauricio and his people for a long while. And when I, I approached him with the idea, I didn't know what kind of format it was going to be. And, and he, first, he, he, was, he was thinking about it, but his wife said, you have to do it. What I didn't know is that about 10 years previously, I'm talking about two years ago when we first discussed it, 10 years previously, they had discussed the possibility that if ever a book was to be written, I was going to do it, which I had no idea about this. So uh, it How all did, came you, together. In terms of the relationship, is that, and, uh, is that a sort of Barcelona-Espanol? Is that, is, is that 
the connection. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm an Espanol fan and I saw what he was doing and I was completely in love, like you are now, I was completely in love with him and what he was doing and his people and the players that were coming. It was just, and I tell you what's going to happen to you when Pochettino goes, which is what's happened to Southampton fans. There is nothing better than that. Uh, the feel is that uh, after that, nobody's as good. He may or may not be true, but that's the feeling. Give that me we some have. hope here, Guillaume. He's going to stay for the rest of his career, presumably. He's going to stay <laughs> a long time, I'm sure. Uh, for as long as the club matches his ambition, I'm, sh- I'm sure he will be. But there is that feeling because he embraces what he does, and and then when he's gone, he's like, you know, I, I, in the case of Southampton, there's uh, one of the stories that a little kid calls him, you know, uh, that uh, how do you say, uh, betrayed him, that he betrayed him by yeah. leaving and all that. So that's the feeling. But anyway, um, so. I said, well, can I can I be in the training ground often? And I ended up being most Mondays. And with all that information, I thought, I tell you what, because every book has got a different kind of approach and genre. Why don't don't I do a um, a diary of the season with these words, even though these other people really telling me the stories? So it comes out as a biography. It is a biography in the first person, which has confused many people because they think it's autobiography or is his own in diary. They imagine him writing after a long day and you know on the training ground writing the the book and he hasn't done that but it is very personal it does read like that doesn't it It does read as though you know it, it is his voice it feels like his voice i was talking to him in the same way that i had been t- talking to him for 10 years he knew this was going into a book and he was very happy to just open it up and telling his story and as he's been saying since he's just been telling the truth so you know what is to fear there's nothing to fear. There is the fear if you're two people. If you are two people and some managers are, then the fear is that you may just contradict yourself or, or tell lies at some point. I mean, Daniel Levy comes out well in this book, and he's someone with a very one-dimensional image in British football and, and the way in which he, we sort of uh, we watch him. Um, he didn't try and control the, the message of this book. It was an interesting process from that point of view because, okay, it's not an official book. It's my book, my biography on Pochettino, but it's his book, completely his book because uh, he has read it and has seen uh, the tone and changed the tone, asked me to change certain things that didn't sound like him, even in English. But then, of course, uh, it gets to a point where the club and English clubs are like this. It's like, right, when is our chance to just, you know, to get the scissors out? And it's like, but it's not an official book. Uh, Daniel Levy said straight away uh, it will be in the official books of Spurs, in the official shops of Spurs, which is brilliant. But then they went like, okay, uh, can we have a look? And he was like, yes, of course you can. Uh, but, you know, it's just like a difference, like a, like a gesture. Anyway, I think he came back with a uh, with few changes uh, that they wanted me to do. And I basically said, look, okay, Alan has got two L's instead of one. I'll do that. I'll change that. And uh, and that's about it, because if you change these things, this is not the book that we want to do. So they kind of accepted it. But it's inter- interesting that the first reaction from Spurs, like it would be for every English uh, Premier League club, is like, can we control the message? Can we control this book? Yeah. But they're giving up on it, and uh, and they're all happy, even though I'm sorry to have jinxed your season for a while. Well, that is, I mean, before I ask Keegan to um, join this conversation... I'm just wondering if you've, if you've, you know, we're now falling down the... Is it, is it your fault? Uh, last time I looked, you beat uh, Apoel and Stoke. 
Uh, you're playing Brighton tonight, so I think that the the cares is gone. It just lasted four games, <laughs> but well, but it was fascinating and because um, it got referenced a lot in you know he was he was being asked in press conferences about the book and about the was it a wise decision to do the book? Not only was it in the Sun two pages with the cover of the book, it was in the Daily Mail, and he was asked about it in the press conference. So I think this book has been mentioned in press conference about I counted eight times, eight press conferences. So the best answer to this is what uh, Pochettino said in the last time he was asked about it and related to the jinx. And he said, look, uh, the book was living his good life and his top, he, he managed to get to top 10 of the Sunday Times best-selling list of all books, which is amazing. Only the Dallas Ferguson books have done that, which, by the way, we were only one week there, but that means I'm always going to be called a Sunday Times bestseller, bestselling yeah, author yeah, from now on. That's right. And the book, when it prints out, we will have the Sunday Times bestseller. Only one week. <laughs> but anyway, we've been uh, top top 60 in the Amazon, all Amazon books, and it's the only football book that, that's done that. But it was just going, you know, going down a little bit to 40, 50, and after all the jinx thing, it just went up to 20 again. <laughs> and uh, Pochettino said, I want to thank you because he's earning zero from it, by the way, zero. But the money that we've agreed that would would have gone to him is going to charity. So the more people talk about it, the better, even if it's bad things. But seriously, and I know you weren't serious, but people of your stature and uh, heads of televisions, <laughs> lawyers, a doctor, they came to me and said, season is jinxed because of you. And it's like, you, you're serious. Well, there is a, there, a lot of people jumped on the David O'Leary Example, didn't they? They said, "Oh well, he wrote a book, and then it was it was seen as a sort of um, it was mistimed. It was when he was at Leeds; they were having a good season, and then they then they you know it went hold into on, decline." Hold on, hold on, hold on. When when the book has been published, you've beaten well, you Spurs have beaten Liverpool four 0 drew against Real Madrid at the Santiago Bernabéu, beat Real Madrid, beat Borussia Dortmund. It's four games, right? So. Uh, but actually, it's not the jinx wasn't in the Champions League, so you have to take that out. And the jinx didn't affect the Liverpool game because I can't remember well, why not. But anyway, it's just ah, come on. <laughs> oh, well, you know, Spurs fans, we lo- we love a jinx. I mean, we're, we're, there's the Wembley jinx and the book. We need we you need have to, we need you a have jinx. To change the way you think about things. <laughs> You're in a clean sheet now. You 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 you've got a guy that is saying to you, let's think differently about who we are. Yeah, yeah. Let's dream. Let's think about, you know. But we've been moaning for so long, it's quite difficult to change. You know? I saw it's, that in the semi-finals of the, champion, of the FA Cup against Chelsea, that you all left, well, left, like two-thirds of the, of, of, the, of the side of Spurs, left within five minutes to go. Yeah, yeah. And there was going to be at least, I think it was seven or eight uh, minutes of extra time. What's that? Twelve minutes to go. <laughs> and you only need two goals, you know. And they were leaving because, of course, you've been hurt in the past by Chelsea and all that. <laughs> Move on, man. <laughs> Keegan, right. Let, what's the... I'm interested. Let's, first of all, delegate. What does it mean? What's your job? So, um, first of all, thanks for thanks for having me here as part Not of the conversation. Um, uh, so, my, my role with La Liga is essentially part of La Liga's story of global expansion um, in the sense that it's an old competition. Uh, it's obviously uh, one of the, the great competitions of European football. We like to think the most exciting league in the world. I'm sure we can have fun debates about yeah, that. Yeah, well, um, that's a question. Uh, 
and at the same time were a relatively new organization. By by new, I mean that uh, only about four years ago, La Liga was the last Europe, major European competition where each of their clubs was still individually negotiating their television rights. And uh, La Liga has gone through over the course of the uh, the past few years uh, under the guidance of President Javier Tebas, uh, a centralization of those rights and the growth of an organization uh, to sort of not only manage the competition, but to manage the development of the brand of La Liga and bit by bit its uh, expansion or seeking to connect with fan bases around the world. And I think it's very easy to think that global expansion of a, of a sporting brand is about setting up offices and about yeah. uh, uh, putting your logo on as many places as possible and all that sort of stuff. And that's all fine and good. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, football exists as a sport because of the fans. And in order to really grow a football brand, uh, quote unquote, you need to make sure that you're connecting with the people who are following you around the world, understanding what clubs they support, understanding what their habits are of viewing uh, the matches, uh, what, what what their interests are and getting more information and more connection with the the protagonists of that story because this is all a great a great drama at the end of the day which which is the sport that we know and love and so so I'm part of that process I'm the person based here in London uh, who is uh, looking after several aspects of La Liga's operations and La Liga's connections with the fan base here in the UK and in Ireland as well so you mentioned it at the beginning there you said about the commercial structure and and, and always before you know, the previous uh, generation, there was that, there's always been the issue of competitive balance in La Liga. It's the same with every league, but there was, it was always the conversation around La Liga was to do with competitive balance. I'll talk after. You yes. I'm, I'm curious to and hear Jim's perspective on this as but well. That was a, that was a um, again, driven by the, the ability of the big two clubs to negotiate their own TV rights, which always seemed to be the engine of that disparity, if you see what I mean. Now, has that fundamentally changed? And is, the, is it a better product overall? I know you're going to say yes, but there, what's, what's, the, what's the answer to that? So, again, this is a process which is just really beginning. We're now still in the very first contracts that have been signed as the as a result of that centralization process and so you know i won't cite all of the fig the figures but the general picture is that there is more money coming into spanish football through broadcast rights than there was previously um you know we're talking about somewhere in the the order of doubling the income more or less from uh, just several years ago to to today on an annual basis and then each club is obviously perceiving that in its in its own way or getting their own their own level of uh, of income through that particular stream you know i think when the when this was all negotiated and it was negotiated not through the clubs but through a royal decree that was actually passed in Spain in, tw in May 2015 um, and the goal uh, according to La Liga's president was to make sure that all the clubs ended up uncomfortably satisfied with the result of the negotiations so I think I think uh, hopefully there is a an increase in the satisfaction and a decrease in the discomfort but that's something you'd have to ask the clubs themselves can I can I just add yeah that question suggests that you think that there are other more competitive leagues. Which one do you think is more competitive, the Spanish or the Premier League? Um, I well, I think the, the Premier League would always present itself as having a broader base of competitive clubs, and that's the key. Present itself. What you are asking is a very Anglo-Saxon view of the Spanish league. Yeah. If you get the last fifteen years of La Liga and the last fifteen years of the Premier League, and you get the difference of in points between first and last, you'll realize that the smallest difference is in La Liga. 
But if you want to get fourth and fourth, fourth bottom four and fourth top, it's a tighter league in La Liga. But the impression is that it isn't uh, so competitive because Barcelona and Madrid are so superior. It's seen as such. Since 2003, take away the Leicester accident, uh, the Premier League and La Liga has had the same number of champions. If you look into Europe, you'll see that the Spanish league has been dominating for more than a decade now, which suggests that the teams are very, very strong. But there's another way of putting it now, and I think people are, will understand this better. Manchester City. What is it? 11 points to second mm -hmm. as we stand. Imagine having two Manchester Cities every season in the same league. You have to compete with that. What, mean, what that means is that everybody else is so much better because of those two, which are the, the big engines that are taking this league on. So when Valencia, Deportivo, uh, or Atletico Madrid win the league, oh my God, <laughs> how can they do that? Well, they've done it because they've been sharpened every tool that they had. And then, of course, when they go into Europe, you can see how, how good they are. So this idea that the Spanish league is not competitive, it's just been... It's just a matter of branding, it's just a matter of image, and it's just a matter for La Liga to work on because it's not true. So I think certainly if I can just jump in, sure. one of the, the many key things that Guillaume just pointed out there was European competition. I mean, really, if you look at the success of Spanish clubs overall in Europe's two top club competitions, clearly there is a track record there of... Sevilla uh, of Valencia in their time, um, you know, the, their time and their time is now in many ways in terms there's, of the season. In fact, Champions League that is more in the last ten years has been more Spanish clubs in, uh, involved in the Champions League than has been British, uh, English. Yeah. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Line. If you'd like to be involved in future episodes, either as a guest or as a sponsor, then drop me a line on danny.rogers at haymarket.com or look on the PR Week website for details. So, what in terms of the the what that means I'm trying to sort of when we then take La Liga and put it in the, on that sort of map of the world and we're looking at football and we're looking at football clubs growing um, and leagues I'm wondering so always the, the when you talk to Premier League sort of commercial people they, their gripe is usually that they're being left to sort of break China or, or to grow the brand in the US on their own um, or at least it's the clubs that are leading that effort. When you then talk to American sports, NFL, NBA, it's the league who are driving that and the clubs are secondary. Where, where, what's La Liga's strategy? You know, I think, I guess I, I suppose I come with a unique perspective on this in the sense that I, you know, I'm originally from the US, from California myself. I consider myself to be part of the, the generation of 94 that fell in love with uh, the, the global game when the World Cup was in the US during that period of time. And that's what took me from that moment forward to uh, working as a print journalist covering the 2002 World Cup in South Korea, um, uh, working within Major League Soccer, both on the media, but on the broadcasting side as well, both uh, at the league level and at the club level for a period of time. And then uh, and then was living in Barcelona for eight years, Guillaume's hometown, before before coming here as this new role with La Liga. And so, I uh, you know I feel very connected to both philosophies of how uh, different sports leagues and different sports organizations uh, build something. I think it's easiest to say that La Liga's uh, La Liga's approach is right now a work in progress. It's something that's that's being formed by Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. 
Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. All of the new individuals who join our organization, we're, we're about maybe 300 strong at this point in time. Um, I think that's larger than the staff who are sort of properly part of the Premier League structure. Uh, you have to consider the difference too in the history of those clubs. A lot of the Premier League clubs were internationalizing long before that was a popular thing to be done within European football. Uh, whereas in the case of La Liga, uh, it's very clear that La Liga uh, seeks to be a league at the service of its clubs. So whether it's a club or whether it's the league itself that creates an international opportunity, that's of secondary importance then. Is there, is a, is there a push and are there resources to try to, again, connect with fans at the end of the day? You know, yeah. people, talk about, people talk about opening offices and about building brands and about partnering with agencies and all of that's important. But it's really at the end of the, end of the day being able to understand what fans want and what they're interested in in different countries around the world. So let's, let's dig into that then. So um, <clears throat> the Neymar transfer is it feels like a moment that we should dwell on and it's because it, one it was an enormous amount of money um but again the 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 feedback from clubs across europe are that is that the further away you get from the club the more star driven the fandom becomes and so and the early indications you know i'm just wondering about the the impact on the La Liga brand of Neymar going from La Liga to the French League. Is that something that gets discussed? Is that a, What's your take on that? It's damaged a little bit, La, La Liga, provisionally. It's like it's, like it's, put, a, it's put a mark into the, into the logo a little bit. Because, of course, uh, you know, you've got Cristiano, you've got Messi. By having Neymar, you have the three best players in the world. You can sell that so easily and uh, you can say... I had a million times, and you know, when those two go, Neymar is the next one, and then he goes. So, um, from that point of view, the Brahmas have been damaged. But I think uh, after the, the 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 original effects, basically, we see now it was it was a bit of an accident. Uh, I don't see this trend continuing. I don't see PSG will still try, of course, with they've got Mbappé and with Neymar and Mbappé, they will be two of the three best players in the world in four or five years' time. Let's see what Neymar is. Uh, let's see Mbappé still there because you need the foundations as a league to actually sustain all that there's going to be problems financial fair play problems to PSG they already have them they cannot grow and who else is going to grow in, in the French league and, and really I mean Neymar left PSG with the idea of being the number one with the idea of winning winning the Champions League and all those things which, which they, they may have a very good goal this year but I think he's already starting to realize, and he's shared this with some of his teammates at Barcelona, that he's losing a little bit of the competitive edge. He's not talking about the, about the team, he's talking about himself. He's, at the moment, in Brazil, uh, with personal reasons. 
this is the noise of inverted commas. Uh, and personal reasons, because he had to go to the dentist and it's his sister's birthday and whatever. I think he's back now, actually. But he's been away and he missed a couple of games. One, he was suspended and then the cup game, he wasn't going to play. He does whatever he wants. And he knows that he's going to be treated as such. And that, you lose something. He's in the middle. He should be in the peak of his powers. Mm-hmm. He should be forcing, he should be in an uncomf- uncomfortable position to get better. He doesn't have that there. So, both for financial and sporting reasons, I think what we saw was, was a bit of an accident. And then we're going to see back again the Spanish, the English league at the top with the German league competing very well and the French league in peaks. Yeah. We've seen a peak now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think if I can just add, you know, in terms of th- that particular situation, I know our president has been on record several times talking about uh, you know, what the perception is from La Liga in terms of uh, in terms of PSG, in terms of that particular transfer. If, if I take off my La Liga hat for a second and just sort of think as as a fan of the sport, f- one thing that's really clear is just how much global competition there is between leagues. And I think mm. this is something that you see in the Champions League as the greatest manifestation of that. But leagues now are competing against each other in many different ways. And they're competing not only to be the best league in the world and the league that has the most uh, uh, followers on social media and the most viewers of the matches on television, but they're also competing knowing that there is a generation coming up right now that may have completely different consumption habits than what current sports fans have. And so you're not only trying to go for that piece of the pie that exists right now as the modern adult sports fan, but you're also hoping to penetrate the the interests or the patterns of, of consumption of sport in general of people who could be people now under the age of 15 who might have completely different interests and completely different ways of approaching things. And, um, uh, you know, I guess I would also add, too, that it's in addition to buying players, and I know we always get excited about buying players, and that's what the whole transfer deadlines are about and stuff like that, but I think any club that wants to be able to tell a compelling story about itself also wants to be developing its own players at the same time. That's so much of the history of the success of, of FC Barcelona over the course of these past 10 years. It's part of the compelling thing that's happening at Spurs at this moment in time as well. And so I think it's very easy because it captures headlines to really get into this idea of wherever the biggest players in the world go, that is the biggest club or the biggest project that exists. But let's not forget about the, the investment that's being put into developing the stars of the future. They don't, they don't just fall to earth from Mars, so to speak. It's a very good point. And it's also, um, it struck me as you were, you were saying that, uh, something that you mentioned was that the planning uh, beyond... Ronaldo and Messi in terms of that generation so it's almost freaky I mean they're two just extraordinary players and extra, you know this presence and, and charisma <clears throat> one of the questions for the PGA Tour in a completely different context was was the Tiger Woods impact they 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 put Woods so for, so far forward in terms of the marketing of the game that then when he fell um, different context obviously the they found it very difficult to to then start to tell a different story. And I'm wondering about how La Liga moves beyond that generation. Is that a fair I, I question? I don't think there is, is, there is much fear of that. There's nothing like Cristiano or Messi. And Cristiano wants to play until he's 41. I don't know why, not 40. Just 41. <laughs> he doesn't like age, round that's numbers. The, that's, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's the age he wants to play in. So he's still got another eight years to go or so. And, uh, and I think Messi will be six or seven years. So it's still a long time to, to go for them to, to go. And meanwhile, the renewal of the narrative will be, will be applied, but not just La Liga, by the media, by the clubs. 
and there is Neymar and there is Mbappé, uh, I don't know, at a different level, Marco Sensio in Spain. Will, the, Spanish, the Spanish national team seems to have uh, found new, new energy, which means that will bring new stars. And the English lads are com- they're coming through as well. They seem to be very grounded personalities, but very good players. So either through new teams or, 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 or through, through marketing, we're still going to have the power to renew ourselves. There's no fear. And I'm talking about La Liga, but it just goes through uh, every single league in the world, I think. OK, so we, we started obviously talking about managers. They're the other stars of football. And increasingly, they're the lens through which we sort of watch the game and view the game and, and analyse. Um, why do we obsess so much about managers? Why are, why are we so it's in, an, it's in, in the thrall of the you know. cult of the manager? What's it's, a, it's very... Is it an Anglo-Saxon one again? Yeah, yeah it oh. is. I certainly and recall, by the way, arriving here, and uh, the manager's happiness is a big part of the conversation here. Is he, he won't be happy with that, or he'll be disappointed that <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, many, yeah, so yeah, much yeah. of the description of a club's performance is based upon how happy or unhappy the manager will be. I think you have to go, you have to go back to history to realize why this is the case, and to and to the the mentality of the English uh, public generally, the the uh, the need for leading uh, and the uh, and the value that he put into that. That goes football is a mirror of society, so so that goes into football, and and then of course then you have to look at the media, which is the ones telling you the story about football. And for media, it's all about controversy and personalities. The clubs are making sure that uh, as a way of controlling the message is the the manager, the the ones that they will allow to talk most of the time, unless it's Mourinho who's got his own agenda. But generally, all the managers stick to that to that idea of the club, and then they giving even more and more prominence. So. Uh, in, in, it doesn't happen in Spain so much. Does it not? No, a, the, it's the more of a players thing. Yeah, it's a players thing. Uh, so, but it it just gives us, you know, if you all of a sudden have got Conte, Klopp, Pochettino, Mourinho, and, and Pep Guardiola in the same place, then it gives us, you know, it fuels the whole idea. Of course, that is all about the managers. We've, I mean, it's interesting point. So, Mourinho, let's let's just talk about him for a moment. Um, he. Love him or hate him has a sort of Donald Trump-like ability to shift the news agenda Absolutely. to a spot that he wants it to be and away from where he doesn't want the uh, conversation to be. Um, is that something that... What, what's your view on him and the way his relationship with the media? Is it, is it something that, that uh, he troubles you? Just, just go through his last press conference and that's all you need to know about, about him. I mean, everybody knows anyway, but... So in the last press conference where he had to react to uh, what had happened in the tunnel at uh, Old Trafford, things that happened, they booked the press conference after Pep Guardiola. So they found out it was always more or less the same time. It was always going to be after Pep Guardiola. He comes in and says he doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah, right. (laughs) And when he talks about it is when he decides. And he decides to talk about it at the end, uh, at the end of a very short press conference, in fact, where he says things like uh, it's about diversity, diversity of behaviours, and mm. then you have to translate that. He's saying we are Manchester United, we have a history. You don't have history, uh, and then uh, new questions come in, like why did you stop at the uh, door of the changing room of Manchester City? To which the press, uh, uh, the head of communications who was there, she stops it and says, "No more questions, no more questions, no more questions." So he manages what he what he says, and then of course. Uh, just in case anybody 
decided to talk about what happened on the pitch, he makes one last uh, thing, which is to, of course, blame the journalists for not respecting Bournemouth and respecting the players, when in fact they hadn't had the chance to talk, to talk about Bournemouth yet, because he left. He was leaving. Well, as he's saying that, he's leaving. I know Jose, and uh, I think he has so much fun. And when he has the opportunity to make it all about the message, which at the end is all about him, it's even more fun for him. Manchester United played really badly. Do you know how many points there were between uh, difference between Manchester City and Manchester United before Guardiola and Jose Mourinho took charge of their sides? But they had exactly the same points. They've started in the same place. 300 million each they've spent, more or less. They've started in the same place. But that narrative has to be hidden or overshadowed, and he is the best mm. at that. The what was what's Pochettino's relationship like with the other managers? Is he? It changes with uh, with Jose when he first came into England, and before that when he was at Espanyol, uh, and and Mourinho was at Real Madrid. They were very close, uh, and and Mourinho will talk very highly about Pochettino. You know, if he had been. If Pochettino had been a Barcelona manager, he wouldn't have done that. He was an Espanol manager, which was actually taking more points than anybody else from Pep Guardiola. So he's somebody to praise, and they spoke. And when Pochettino was thinking of coming to England, they exchanged a lot of messages and a lot of conversations while he was at Southampton as well. Then, you know, again, is you know, Pochettino thinks he's got a, a relationship, whatever it is, quite friendly. But then, then Mourinho changes it because of for him, it's all about winning. Uh, and then there's this situation with Eric Dyer where uh, after a 1-0 yes, defeat yes, at Old Trafford, um, just Mourinho starts talking to Eric Dyer in Portuguese in front of Pochettino and, and of course Eric Dyer falls in the trap and talks back and there's a bit of laughs and yeah. he just lost against Manchester United. The, other, the opposite manager is waiting for you. Do not go at him. So anyway, uh, the next day Pochettino was asking Eric Dyer. Uh, are you friends with Pochettino? Oh, well, his godson was my coach when he was uh, in Portugal. And we, but are you friends? Well, so anyway, uh, from then on, I think the relationship has changed a little bit, but they still, you know, they still got a, a lot of respect. There's, a, the, again, the other story, you know, that, that gets put around is the English managers. And there is this interesting sort of dynamic where Sam Allardyce being the sort of personification of this, and that, that, English managers see, resent the sort of the sophistication of the foreign manager. There is that sort of tension between these two groups. What's is there anything in that? Is that is that? Can you see a, a division there? He's accusing the owners of the clubs in England of being xenophobic, and that last time I looked is illegal. If he thinks that owners are taking decisions based on the nationality of a coach, he should go to the police, and you should actually report people. Number one. Number two, has his passport been confiscated? <laughs> Can he go to another country and, 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 and coach there? Third thing, 75% of the coaches in the Football League are British. I don't see that at all. And in fact, I think he is blocking uh, the, ac the, 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 the ascent of some of the young coaches by, by selling the idea that he's the, the saviour of, 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 of a certain group of clubs. Um, when it would be nice that those clubs 
saw beyond that uh, and, and gave chance to English coaches and, and, and French coaches and anybody who's good for the job. What's this thing with the nationality? Anyway, that's what I think. It might say more about Sam Allardyce than it does about Absolutely. the issue, but it's a, it's a good one. Right, we're going to finish off with just a, a quick view into the future. I'm going to ask you the inevitable European breakaway league question. Um, can you ever see that happening? It's been a story since I've been covering sort of sports business for too long, you know, longer than I can remember. And it's been a story that is, is hinted at, whispered at conferences. You know they're going to do it. They're not going to do it. What's your view? Do you, can you ever see that happening, the big clubs getting together? Certainly you can imagine that there would be clubs that might find it attractive as an option. Uh, I think one thing that's worth keeping in mind is that so many of the clubs who are part of this conversation on a perennial basis are are clubs that have developed a winning culture and fan base around them within their own national competitions. And so the idea that suddenly there would be a league where you would have uh, the club that you know every single uh, every single year, every three years is, is fighting for the title is suddenly midway through the season in 10th or 12th positions in this brand new Super League. I think it it's it fails to understand what is one of the reasons why fans connect with a lot of these super clubs. And so uh, interest, perhaps. Uh, is it a feasible project, long-term and sustainable? I'm skeptical. Yeah, I, I, that's a very good point you make is, about, yeah. about fans, actually. because, uh, But at the same time, fans uh, now are, are, are customers, and they that's what clubs are, tend to see at the moment. And they, they just see money, 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 money. And they think that there's another way of making of making even more money. I see it happening because the greed of clubs is un, unstoppable, and uh, and and they will try it, uh, fail or not. We will see. But uh, they've been push, as you were saying, they've been pushing for it, haven't they? If they see an opportunity, you know, a bigger Champions League that becomes into a bit of a league, they, I think they're going to go for it. Okay, right. That is a. Place where we're going to call a call a halt. Thank you very much for your time. I really enjoyed that, Guillaume Balaguet and Keegan Pierce. Um, this has been the Line, the PR Week podcast in association with Cake. Lee Sanders has been on the recording deck. Thanks, Lee. Until the next time. Cheers. The Line is sponsored by Cake, the Havas Sport and Entertainment Agency. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.